Welcome to Ask Uni, the show where we deep dive into the wonderful world of K-pop. I'm Met, a K-pop stan in training, and I am here with my BFF, Iman, a true K-pop stan. Yep, that's right. And every week I assign homework to my stan in training. We cover everything from the best bands, TV shows, drama, and beyond. Follow along every week at askuni.com where we'll include everything we discuss available in the K-hole. That means videos, photos, and everything in between. So check it out and follow along. Today, we're going to get into the making of an idol. And by that, it means how do you become a K-pop star? When you watch the performances, they do look like absolute perfection. Uh, but that being said, we all know being perfect, we don't all wake up like this. It takes a lot of work to get on that stage and be a beautiful idol. So today we're going to get into that and find out exactly how these idols come to be. Now, there are pop stars built in many different countries and cultures, but K-pop just seems to take it to a whole new level of perfection. Yeah, so what I love about the K-pop machine is the fact that it is an unfiltered machine. They know that they have these little pop factories where they churn out these little idols and these kids are incredibly talented, incredibly dedicated. They all have a role. Tragedy unfortunately does strike and sometimes these kids do not fulfill their dreams as do us. Sometimes, you know, you go out into the world and you want to be a superstar but you can't make it. But that's fine. But we'll dive into all of that today. Yes. Yeah, so today we're going to cover the journey to becoming an idol and we're going to break it down in three different parts. So first we're going to talk about just a traditional road to becoming an idol. Then we're going to talk about how you can become an idol from these TV shows. And there's some escándalo that does go along with it because, you know, we love a scandal. And the third part is going to be about the debut stage. And we're going to look at past debuts and present debuts. So let's get into it. Let's start with the traditional road to becoming an idol. My first question is, how are they actually discovered? Do entertainment companies and labels actually go and search for the talent? Or do the acts actually come to the entertainment companies and labels and actually put themselves out there to become discovered? I think it's a combination of both. So essentially there's auditions and there's scouting. I mean, as of yesterday, I think SM actually just announced that they were going to have global auditions for a new boy group they're going to put together. So auditions are obviously much grander in scale depending on the size of the entertainment company. They're usually global and quite massive or kids from like ages I think eight to 18 will show up and show their skills while others will be scouted and asked to audition or signed right there on the spot. Um, there's talks, for example, of uh, scouts going to schools because they had heard a rumor that that attractive child goes to that school and they will literally camp out in front of these middle schools for these cute kids and stalk them until they get their parents' information so that they can sign the kid on the spot. And you're talking a lot about scouting. Now, when I think about becoming a pop star, I'm thinking about an audition where I have to sing and I'm going to get chosen through vocal talent and potentially also my dance skills. But when you say scouting, that's usually associated with like modeling. And so I'm wondering, are they scouting these kids based on their looks? Like what, where does the other stuff come in? Like what criteria are they really looking for? Literally, the merit of being a pop idol is quite simple. 
in SK in South Korea, if you are a good looking kid, you are usually signed. And because in their minds, if you have don't have talent, sorry. So if you're not a kid with talent, they will train you so hard that you become talented. And if you don't live up to their standards anyway, you're chucked. But you can't necessarily buy good looks. I mean, you can, but not when you're like 14. So if they have a shell that they can work with and mold, that's what they're going to go after. And like I'd mentioned before, like each label also has a certain look that they like. So there's like the SM looking kids and then there's the YG looking kids. So it's very like once you fall into the fandom a bit deeper, you'll start to notice that ah, that guy looks like a YG guy, for example, which is so odd to say. But if you are also in the modeling or fashion industry, you get what I mean when I say that. I do see a lot of similarities in terms of the physique, the body type. So it does make sense that they're actually looking for looks first. And then, as you say, I will train you to become a great dancer. I'll train you to sing. Potentially, if it's a big group, maybe you don't really need to sing. You'll just be a looks person. And so I'm thinking, now that I've been scouted, say I'm like a beautiful child. I've passed the audition. What happens next? Am I going into a specific band or am I being put into a machine? And then what happens? So a trainee does not necessarily mean you're an idol yet. So being under a company and getting trained actually doesn't guarantee that you'll become an idol or debut at all. Usually what will happen, like if we talk about top line, the label will announce that they're debuting a group and from their batch of trainees, they'll put together a team to see if that works. Sometimes an agency will like a trainee so much that they want to actually create a group around this kid because they think the kid is stand out enough to like launch a group and make them some moolah. Another concept is actually called the concept group. So essentially there's a theme that a label really wants to try out and they'll build a band and brand to adopt that concept. And they'll be put together based on that solely. So we've seen that happen as well. What type of lifestyle are the trainees living? I know that back in the 90s, there was always there was a documentary on the Spice Girls. I was a really huge Spice Girls fan. And it seemed like so much fun that they were scouted. They were then picked. They lived in a house together. They became best friends. And they just rehearse and they sing. When you're young, that just seems like the dream. I get to live in a house with my friends and sing and dance. Is that what it's like here? It sounds a little bit more like boot camp than living with your BFFs. Essentially, if you're chosen to become a trainee, you are training constantly and consistently. That's literally every waking moment that you are not in school. You are either in a dance class, a vocal class, learning some language, etiquette lessons, um, strict dieting as well, fitness classes, literally until you become a well-oiled machine. And that's why you'll see these kids, like they'll be sleeping and doing dance moves in their sleep because that's how often they train and do it. So this is like eight to seven, eight to 10 hours a day of training. And literally they'll subconsciously be doing dance moves without even realizing it. Cause that's how often they practice and do things. It does explain why they do come out looking so polished, more polished than any American act I would have ever seen, but it's because they're taking it to that next level. 
I'm wondering if, because they've been doing this for a while now, what is the aftermath for the youngsters who go through this? Some people go into the army and they come out a better person because they've learned discipline and they have an amazing craft and they have something amazing to show for it. I don't know if there's any stories about like, how do they feel now that they've finished this? Are they happy about it? That's the thing. Unless you debut, your sole purpose as a trainee is to debut. That is your goal, is to debut. And your whole life is riding on this. Most kids will actually drop out of school because they want to train more and debut faster. And so what happens is one of two things. You either make it to the end and get on that stage, or you realize that after training a couple of years, you're not going anywhere, and usually you end up walking away. Or the company will let you go because they don't see the future for you. That's why trainee contracts also are quite short. They're like a year long. Because if they don't think you're going to fit, instead of keeping you there and spending money, because it also does cost quite a bit of money to have a trainee, because it's everything from like dormitories to your food and all of that stuff. So if they don't think you're worth the money, they'll also let you go. And a lot of these kids do become really disenfranchised and really lost. And it's really sad to see, especially when you watch reality shows, which we'll touch on later. But like you can see how desperate these kids are to just debut and they're not even asking to become famous they just want to sing and dance like that's all they want to do so it's it's kind of heartbreaking but when they do make it I can imagine it being incredibly exhilarating after all that hard work it's yeah it feels like maybe pop star it's pop star university or pop star high school boarding school you're in it all the time and I know that there's singing and dancing involved but what else you mentioned they do so much more what else are they learning while they're there I mean, they have to learn a, a variety of things. And I think, it, you know, obviously it depends on the scale of the company as well. But, you know, they have to take language classes because in order to become a global iconic pop star, you need to know basics in Mandarin, Japanese, English, Korean, obviously. You have to be, and usually band members will have roles as well. So there's someone who is a language person and there's someone who's a dance specialist and they tend to have to choreograph everything. So if you look at a band like Blackpink, for example, Lisa is the dancer of the group. So she's the one that takes charge of usually of the choreography or the one that leads it. Like everyone has to have their, their thing and that also makes them more special to the company as well. So now Lisa is acting as a mentor on dance reality TV show programs. And that's another way of her bringing money into the agency and making the band bigger because she's seen in different formats. So it's things like that. They just have to be really malleable and adaptable to everything. You mentioned the trainee contracts aren't too long. How long does it really take to go from discovery to debut, especially if you're literally being chosen out of school for your looks and have no experience? I mean, it's honestly, it's such a huge variety. I've heard of pop idol like artists that's been in training for like six seven years before they managed to debut or they've debuted and the band didn't make it so they went back into the training process which is probably the most heartbreaking thing and then i've heard of trainees literally being a trainee for a day and then they're thrown in to a group and they're like okay there you go bye have fun you're famous now so it could really it's it's such a spectrum and i think a lot of it has to do with luck and timing as well so it's if you click with the trainees and you get on really well and, you know, you're looked at by management, they're like, you know, wow, we can probably make a band out of these guys. That's, you know, that's a lot of luck and hard work. So it really, really varies. 
When they're finally ready to be born into the world, so to speak, they have their official debut. As you said, these trainees are all working towards a debut, which we will get into. But before that, let's talk about a more modern way to get into a debut, which is doing it all on television. That's coming up next. As good business goes, the more you diversify, the better the return. So why not take the audition, scouting, and trainee to debut process and put it on TV for people to vote? I mean, that is such a great idea. And of course, people caught on, and that's now a huge thing. It's been a really popular formula to actually have auditions and find talent on TV. I think it's something that we as an audience, we love to see that story, as we said, someone working hard and like getting the gold, you know? And we've seen it in the 80s, they had back that was a long time ago, even like kind of before our time, Star Search, but I know Beyonce was on that. And they had Idol, which was, Idol was massive all around the world. They had X Factor that was again all around the world. And I remember watching MTV back in, I think, 98, 99, they had Making the Band, which was with Lou Pearlman. And he was one of the big Spengali's that actually got his ideas from Maurice Starr, who did New Edition, who, which was one of the original boy bands, a more pop from the late, like that was like the 80s. So they had a show on MTV called Making the Band. I remember I used to watch it and it was actually O-Town, which became the boy band associated O-Town. with that show. So it's a pretty well-oiled formula, and it makes sense that this is a great industry to introduce it to. So K-pop has now used TV to make some bands, and it's been in the last five years. Seems like they've had a lot of success. So yeah, I think what makes the reality survival programs here quite interesting is it's all based on public favor. So there's no judges in the sense of the, in the traditional sense that we have in like X Factor and that kind of thing, where you've got a Simon Cowell sat there. Um, but you do have the producers or the people, the nation that is watching this sort of decides who these pop bands are. And it's great for companies to actually see what's, you know, in national favor or what the people find interesting. And it's proven highly successful with groups such as IOI, 101, and iZone, to name a few. And even labels do their own versions of reality survival programs as well, while they're actually air full episodes on YouTube and have viewers chime in to see what bands, like what band members or trainees that they like, and they'll formulate it that way. That's a really great and smart way to do market research and make money in the process. So that is smart business. You mentioned produce, and it'd be great to deep dive into that because it was super popular and there was a lot of controversy too surrounding what you say is all based on public voting. We'll get into that. But a bit more on produce, it is a full franchise. So they had it in South Korea, China, and Japan. And because of that, it's a worldwide following. And I saw that they had more than 10 million people voting for season two, which is pretty much one third of all of Canada, which is pretty crazy if you think about it, and a fifth of all of South South Korea. So that just shows you how popular this is and how major this is. And I also heard episode eight of one of the series in China, it had more than 4.3 billion views streamed. I don't know, isn't that like a third of the whole world? The pressure, if you think about being on the show and knowing that, you know, 4.3 billion people are watching you, how do you even get on the show? 
I was probably one of the 4.3 billion people that streamed that show because obviously produce anything. Like, I love franchise shows like this because I'll fall into it and it's like, it is a gay hole, but I'm bump. And it is so addictive to watch. So essentially how you get on is labels send in their trainees to make up this massive contestant pool that is essentially boiled down to 101 kids. And there's also what they call, I think, individual trainees. So it's kids who put themselves in and they don't have a label backing. But obviously you come from a bigger label, they're more volume and you see them all sat there and like the screen will come on and it'll be like banana culture or cube entertainment you can see these kids gasp because of obviously the bigger labels are like you know they're gonna come out like the trainees are gonna look like bosh and look fabulous and they're all like oh my god he's so handsome i can never be that handsome but yeah so it is super addicting to watch of course and i was actually writing an algorithm the other day and it was about jion somi who was actually on that show and she did make the group And she was saying how she had to hide in a closet to sneak food because of how strict it was. Yeah, like it's, that's the thing when you're watching those shows. I mean, like any reality show, you're thinking about like, oh, the editing, you know, maybe it's evil editing, they call it, or they can't be that bad because there's literally cameras on these kids. Like the world is going to be watching. They can't be that strict. But they're so strict about that stuff like I said before they take their phones away from them they're put on incredibly strict diets they're training like like dance classes vocal training classes all the time it's essentially boot camp on speed and on top of that their every waking moment is being filmed so I can't even imagine the mental pressure that these kids must be under and even outside of the reality shows trainees in general I think only have one day off every fortnight So these kids literally have about two days off a month, if you think about it. So it's hectic. And they perform for their lives weekly. They get ranked. So you have all on top of that, you're seeing your your name with a bunch of numbers. And you're told whether you're in the D group or the A group. Like I, I was such a weepy child. I can't even imagine what kind of like mental strength you would have to have to be able to cope with this and then to have like celebrities that you are a fan of point a finger at you and be like your voice get it together like (laughs) I mean they obviously don't say it like that but they do and then have the whole world like the literally your whole country is then ranking you and like I said before guys comments on the internet is just mean and they're so mean to these poor little babies I, I couldn't do it personally And who actually, when you watch the show, which I haven't watched, but I kind of want to because it sounds really dramatic and really interesting. The public is voting for you, but who's training them? So you mentioned celebrities. Are there celebrity judges, like they're not judges, maybe celebrity mentors, and they're the ones pushing them? How does it actually work on the show? So yeah, they have celebrity, I guess, mentors that coach them. So they have like the regular vocal coaches, dance coaches, and so on, but then they get tested. So then the celebrity coaches will come up and give them tips or call them out on a few things. And essentially they help the whittling down of the contestants before it actually goes up into live broadcasting. So you won't start with the full, I mean, they'll start with the full 101, but obviously there's a bit of a cut down and then it dwindles down, I believe to the final nine. And then you, you know, I think first season was final nine. And then you get a year long contract 
as a band together. But what's interesting is, for example, IOI, they had trainees from a bunch of different labels. So all the companies have to come together and basically agree on the terms and conditions of the band. So that's why they only have one-year contracts is because the trainee has to go back to their mothership at the end of the process. It's not conducive to actually a long-term band then. It's really a TV situation, one year, but it's not really setting them up to have a longevity in a band. I think it depends because if you look at Jun Sumi's case, right, she essentially had auditioned for 16, which is JYP's survival program. And that's where Twice came to be was through that program. And she missed out on that. So when she did Produce 101, she became the center of IOI. And she gained so much popularity from that, that she actually was able to go solo and sign with the black label, which is YG's label. So these kids do get quite a bit of attention and a fandom coming out of these TV shows. So that's also why they're so desperate to debut. It's because they're going to be recognized world over. Everyone, if you're a K-pop fan, knows IY and 101 and, you know, iZone. And so it is huge for them. And also, like, and it's sad because sometimes the contestants will go on and they'll be like, oh, I have to win because I need to save my label. So it'll be kid trainees from, like, smaller entertainment companies who can't afford to funnel money into getting them onto the Mnet shows in the debut stages. And so they're like, okay, the only way I can actually debut because my company's too poor is to do this television show and be seen. So there's all of this stuff, like, and that's the thing. It's it's sort of what made American Idol so popular is you're hearing these stories, this this human, this sense of desperation these kids have and this wanting to find their dream. And then you hear what they're battling through and you're just kind of like, I just want to adopt all 101 of you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, but it's also interesting to watch. Of course, with all this jeopardy, it's going to be amazing television. And as a viewer, you know, that your vote is what's going to make the difference or supposedly is going to make the difference because last week we were talking a bit about some scandals and they were not just many little scandals. Well, some of them are many, but we're talking about some scandals that actually result in lawsuits, which is that becomes very serious. Now, I know that there was another controversy for this show, which is known as the Mnet Vote Manipulationist Scandal, which actually is getting quite serious as well and resulting in lawsuits. What is that scandal all about? So Produce 101 is essentially the biggest reality survival music program situation. As we said before, it's got several franchises. So the incident primary and primarily involves Produce One One and Idol School, um, where they were intended to create these amazing K-pop groups and the audience will vote in. But I think it was the summer of 2019 where it was 101's fourth series was Produce X 101. I think that's the final of the series where viewers were then essentially suspected that the votes were being manipulated because they were looking at these numerical errors that were coming up, which I think is personally for me is nuts that people even notice. I don't think I've ever really looked at the counts to see if it's been it's fair or not. So yeah, essentially 200 or so viewers then filed a lawsuit against Mnet and said that, you know, there's must be some sort of voting manipulation. There was on-site text voting service charge of 100, like I think 100 won per vote. 
which also led to further investigation by the Seoul Metropolitan Police. And then two of the producers of the Produce 101 series were then arrested with Ahn Jun Young admitting to manipulating the rankings of all four of the seasons, guys. All four. So all four mega bands were essentially rigged. So he admitted to it. And then I think another guy named Kim and six other entertainment agency representatives were indicted for charges, including obstruction of business, fraud, and bribery. So in a nutshell, guys, you have a bunch of desperate children performing for their lives every week in front of the entire nation watching them. Literally, they haven't seen their parents in months, are barely eating, barely sleeping, only to be told that the companies that had the most money to bribe the producers of the show were already picking kids to create the final band. I think as well, for all of the seasons, if not three of the seasons, they already knew who the final lineups were. Like, they had already set the final lineup. Like, those kids were guaranteed even before they stepped into the audition rooms for this, that it was going to happen. So the public backlash was obviously so freaking intense that X1, which I believe was like the final group, were essentially dismantled. Um, and I think iZone were kind of stuck in the middle because they had already performed, I think, for about a year at that point. And this is when the contracts were a bit longer than one year. I think they were three or four years. I'm not sure, but extended contracts. So they were already in the middle of their contract. So they couldn't really get out. And the public sentiment was they actually really enjoyed the girls. So they continued. Even though it was a vote manipulation, how was the sentiment towards the actual groups? Were they just innocent bystanders? Did they have any idea? I think for the most part, the kids had absolutely no idea. Again, they're trainees. They don't know what's happening in behind the scenes and who's paying off who for what. I think there were some idols that came forward that were incredibly upset because they had realized what had happened to them and how much their lives could have obviously changed being in these successful bands. I mean, for the case of X1, they, they were essentially just like on the chopping block immediately because the sentiment was so negative that like, even if they did the song and dance number, no one would have bought into it because they're like, none of you guys deserve to be here. So effectively, they were dismantled, the boy group. So they were pretty much out. IOI, because it was as far back as 2016 and the band had essentially disbanded and everyone had gone on to do their own thing. You know, they have their own fandoms. It was a bit different. I think IZONE was, the, and same with 101, like 101 disbanded. They're all mega famous doing their own thing, so it's fine. I think iZone was the one that was sort of stuck in the middle. And they're actually in contract renewal phase right now, debating whether they will continue on as iZone or whether they'll split and go off into their own labels once again. There was a lot, I'm sure there's a lot of pissed off, you know, trainees that felt like they were handed a really, really bad card and felt unfair. Like, I can't imagine what those kids must have been feeling, knowing that it was predestined anyway and they didn't have a hope in hell. Well, I think the one giant moral of the story is do not mess with the fans. Do not lie to the fans. They will figure it out and they will file a lawsuit against you. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of luck. And as we've mentioned, a little bit of heartbreak in the process of becoming an idol. And we have talked about trainees who have to go into their boot camp and train but now we want to talk about once they get through that process and it's essentially their goal, the pinnacle. I mean, maybe we call it graduation when you become officially an idol and you debut. 
I know in other types of pop, you hear about debut quite often. You think debut album, but the concept of a debut stage is very K-pop. Yeah, it is so K-pop, and it's also my most favorite thing. So a debut, in essence, is when a trainee or a group finally gets to realize their dreams by performing a song on stage in front of a audience. So it's like their first formal entrance into showbiz. And normally what happens is you get to do your title track or your main debut track, a little dance number that you got as well, and a B-side of your single. So back in the day, you would have these huge grand entrances. I think it was to anyone where each member had like a three minute intro or something crazy. Well, now they've boiled it down essentially to you've got two songs, you better make a count. And how come they've changed it? Because if you go into askuni.com, go check out the K-hole because there's a great selection of debut stages, which is just so much fun to watch, especially if you're stuck in lockdown like me, this will bring joy to your heart. How come they've changed how to do it? I actually think more production, the more over the top better, but now it sounds like they're paring it down. Is that like a money thing? It's a money thing, but also we have to look at the maths. There are about 300 groups that debut a year and there's literally three channels that they can show up on and it costs money. So essentially what they do is Mnet being the primary one, I believe their shows are on Thursday, will handpick usually more well-known bands or like labels, their, their trainees, because they know that they can afford, it costs a lot of money. So Mnet's not paying for this. So the label has to put the money down to pay for these extravagant shows. And so what they noticed is they want quick return on their investment. So it's essentially band in, band out. Mnet makes the most money, two songs, that's it. And can you only debut on Mnet or are there other stages where you can debut? So there are actually quite a few shows that you can jump on, like Inky Gayo, there's the show on SBS MTV, Show Champion, M Countdown, Music Bank, Show Music Core, and Pops and Soul. But anything worth your money is obviously going on Mnet, which I believe is on Thursdays, and that's the first one out the gate for most debut stages. And as I said before, please go and check out the K-Hole at askuni.com. We have a great selection of debut stages from years past and also more recent ones. And I know that hindsight is very helpful. Uh, but when you go back and you watch these, you really see energy and quality from some of the biggest acts. What would become, you know, the hugest acts in the world? Like Big Bang had an amazing debut. They were on a stage that had their name on it. So it was a little bit, as you said in the past, a little over the top, but they just had really great chemistry and it looked like that was just a regular concert. You wouldn't really know that it was their first ever official performance. Same thing with To Anyone, as you mentioned, they're getting their dance solo intros. It feels like I'm watching them in a concert, an intro that you would see in a world tour. That's what the vibe I'm getting. And NCT had like a very, very strong debut. Again, energy, chemistry, perfection. And then BTS, they came out with a lot of swag. I mean, their debut was like hardcore, like rap. Not Now you see them like skipping in the street into dynamite and you think, wow, the versatility is really, you can see quite extreme. They have a lot to offer. So you see those debuts, you're like, these guys are amazing. You wouldn't know at the time that that become so big, but you'd hope they would be. And then you see a lot of the other ones that have some nerves creeping in, you know, you can kind of tell sometimes, you know, when someone's just not fully selling it. 
like you said, there was an evolution of these. What is exactly what you would want to see in a debut? What are people looking for? I think as a fan, it's okay. So again, it's, it's two things. So debut can take place as a press conference if it's a band that's like highly anticipated. So for example, Blackpink, there was a press conference first before they did their debut stage. And the debut stage is like a rite of passage. And guys, to somewhat put this in perspective, um, it's somewhat, it was like similar to Top of the Pops or TRL and CD UK back in the day. And it's a huge, huge exposure. And what people are essentially looking for is, again, is the music good? Is the dancing good? Is it a good crew? Like a lot of these trainees and, and stuff, I don't know how to explain it. It's just they almost already have fans to begin with if this trainee or this group's been given enough exposure before their debut, they'll have their fans supporting them and that kind of thing. But really it's about showmanship and the wow factor. And if, you know, you can knock the viewers off their feet. So that's always been exciting because even, as you said, you watch the big performances and you think, oh, they, you know, they must have a big fandom because they're so, you know, they look so cool. Like who wouldn't want to fall in love with them? And then you see the ones that are kind of scared and shy and you feel bad for them, but that almost wants, like that almost, almost makes you want to cheer them on even more, if that makes sense and see if they succeed. So it's a, it's a lot about, it's a, it's a bit of a balance in that sense. And I have a couple of questions actually about some of the etiquette rules of the debut. What is the stance on lip syncing? Because they're doing very rigorous dancing and some performances you can tell that is live singing and you can feel that sense of breathiness and others have really, really clean vocals. And I actually couldn't tell if they're lip syncing or not because I'm thinking, how are they that good? to be able to dance and sound this good. But again, they've been in training for 10 hours a day. So maybe that explains it. Is there an etiquette or a thought on lip syncing? Okay. I don't really know what the rules are for lip syncing, because as you said, it's essentially a workout that they're doing for six minutes on stage. And it's intense, guys. Like, go into the K-hole and take a look at these videos. These, This is like no joke. It's an aerobic exercise that is insane. But then you'll have essentially bands that have the tag of really good at live singing. So Shiny, for example, they're known as a live singing group, being best vocalists. So they usually do their stuff live and that's what they're known for. So I don't think lip syncing is necessarily a bad thing. I think they do train quite hard, so they should be able to hold a note but yeah, I don't think it's like, no, never, we never lip sync it. This is awful. No way. Speaking of shiny, I really loved their debut. It was really sweet. Um, Taman looked like a little baby child. He's like 11 or 12 or something. It's really, really cute. And I noticed that they were dancing. They're quite strong vocally as well. And they had backup dancers. And I thought, why do they have backup? They don't need them. But maybe it's because they wanted to have a little bit of like that extra padding, maybe, you know, a little backup so that they didn't feel they need to dance as hard to keep their vocals. Who knows? This is just maybe I'm, it's, it's, a, it's a potential theory. And you also mentioned that they sometimes have fans before they debut. And for Protus 101, of course they have fans because they're, they got voted there. I noticed on their debuts, they had really over-the-top audience sounds. Now, we have audience literally cheering the whole time in unison. It almost felt like it was like a part of the track. What's up with that? 
I think they do have a track for audiences because sometimes like, yay, just seems too clean and it's a bit weird. But what's also quite interesting in K-popdom is what they call fan chants. So basically when they start screaming the names of band members in between certain songs. So for example, EXO, when they're on stage, there'll be a section in the song where you'll hear the the, the crowd literally start chanting the members' names like, Chan, Bakyan, Chanyeol. So every band has their own fan chant as well, which kind of adds to the whole vibe of this <laughs> of the concert. But yeah, it, the yay is quite hilariously camp. Well, again, please go check out all of these videos. There's like at least 15 or 20, all of them great in their own way on askuni.com. After watching the journey of the trainee get to the debut stage, and it's their big moment, what happens with the fans after that? What happens if maybe the feedback is not so great? Well, what happens after the debut stage is essentially it's a competition and there's a real-time ranking. So if they get number one, they get awarded, they obviously get to be on more shows and basically they'll spend a week or two promoting themselves on the different channels to try to get out as many people as possible and obviously get more popular. But if they don't, then it's essentially back to the drawing board. Another thing that can make or break a band when they debut is also their concept. So if a band debuts on stage with a concept that's not so great, for example, I think it was Ace. They did not have the best debut because they were like in these little leather hot shorts that their management team put them in. Anyway, they didn't turn out well for them, unfortunately, when they debuted. They're popular now. Thank goodness for that. Um, But yeah, a a concept, again, remember guys, I said a concept is essentially like a theme. So if the people don't like the theme, that could also make the band suffer. And that's why you'll see a lot of bands sometimes go through different concept changes until they land the right one that suits their image. So they can go for like sexy pop princesses and they see that it's not working and then they'll go to like what they call the, the 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 cool older sister vibe or the beagle or something like that so they test different things out to see what works as i said before watching debut stages is really really fun i know that it's one of iman's favorite thing too so please go and again check out the debut stages on askuni.com and for now let's find out what's in store for next week's homework Next week, we are going to be talking about the anatomy of a group. We've touched on the labels. We've touched on the trainee to debut. But once you're in a group, what do you do? What is your role? What's the dynamics of a group? If I'm hot, is there a hot position for me? Actually, there is. Stay tuned and find out more about that next week. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. You can also follow us on Instagram at askunni underscore podcast. That's A-S-K-U-N-N-I-E underscore podcast. And check out the K-Hole, which includes all of the content we discuss. You can find that on askunni.com.